Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsack. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And this is the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet. This is where we gather to talk Star Wars with all of you, to celebrate it, to dig deep. And this is episode 219, Enjoying the Evil. That's right. We are going to dive into not just the dark side. We're going to dive into our own personal uh, obsession, fascination, desires, 
to be like the bad guys in Star Wars, like the bad team. We're going to take a look at what that really means and have fun with that there. Before we do, though, I want to remind you today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, uh, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, as always, we'll have our Force Center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, uh, we are here recording remotely again, responsibly, remotely, battling tech problems for like the fourth week in a row. And each week, it's like a new tech problem. Uh, this is, it's like a Star Wars a movie. We got a, an obstacle, we su- su- succeed, we get over it, and then another obstacle. We're learning. Yeah, yeah. It's variety is the spice of life. It's just a, a little adventure serial and different tech problems. <laughs> uh, I feel like this is why I really identify with Han Solo. Just nothing works. Everything's falling apart around him. Keep it together. Keep. It. <laughs> That's why I, yeah, <laughs> punch my computer every day. I, I don't think it works. I don't think Han's a great mechanic in that way. It's a good way to start the day. Just a swift punch to the face of your computer. Uh, how are you, my friend? What's going on with your life adventures, Star Wars adventures, lockdown adventures? How you doing? Good, good, good. The lockdown adventure uh, proceeds apace, uh, doing a lot of uh, writing, a lot of podcasting. Uh, I haven't left the house in my, my apartment, I should say, in quite a while. Lucky to have a little balcony where I can take some uh, photos with the cocktails. Uh, but other than that, uh, I was thinking about Star Wars adventures. And it was mm. uh, this week in particular was kind of weird because like, I don't think I had any Star Wars adventures. I just did those five podcasts like, oh, <laughs> that's a that's a Star Wars adventure because we did at least uh, four together, perhaps uh, yeah. uh, five, actually, because we did the video, too. Um, yeah. And then I did. Uh, I I don't think it's been announced yet. So I, I did. Uh, Friends, a uh, great podcast will be coming out very soon. Uh, but was very uh, research intensive too. So I spent a lot of time with Star Wars. Quality, wonderful time. Um, but not much. Uh, the only thing that I did, I would say, that was not in preparation for something, is this morning when we were getting ready to record. Uh, we're recording on Monday. Um, that I wanted to watch a little bit of Revenge of the Sith for reference, and then. Just started running super late because I couldn't stop watching Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> hey, that's the thing, man. You put those prequels in, especially Sith. You know, it goes from the background to the foreground, man. That's where that's the first time I realized maybe I maybe I like these more than more than I think. Man. But it's not, you're doing yeah. you're doing good, man. You're working. You're keeping busy, and I'm with you too, man. I I think there was one day Wednesday and that included. Included a Star Wars rank recording, Will the Force recording, and our Force Center show and tell. The night ended, and I looked back and I went, I recorded seven shows today. Like, that's <laughs> a good days worth of work. And the last one ended at about 11.45. First one began at 11 in the morning with you. So, yeah, uh, it, it fortunate. And by, by the way, I said it with a, a great feeling of, of gratitude that I have uh, these shows to do during these times. And I know you've absolutely. Uh, yeah. Any Star absolutely. Wars, any Star Wars uh, specific adventures other than watching Revenge of the Sith for, dare I say it, fun? No, no. I mean, it, it really was like, as pe- people sometimes do ask us of like, it, it, do, do does doing so much podcasting make you feel like not a fan, make you feel like it's work? And I think I, I do make an effort to sometimes just be like, I'm going to read a book because I want to. I'm going to play Battlefront 2 because I want to. In uh, last week was one of those weird weeks of like, I feel like I absolutely got to be a full-on Star Wars fan, even though all of it was research for a podcast. That's a great feeling, man. That's a, yeah, we get asked all the time, yeah. But sometimes you just like, oh, you know what I want to do today? I want to watch Solo. Why? Because I don't know. I, I, I want to see Quite Tolsai. <laughs> oh, oh. 
no chance to play Battlefront 2, right? That's usually what our updates are. Um, I, I, I had yeah. too many chances to do Battlefront 2 uh, for one, on one day. Played for a while on a stream. It just kept going. Just kept going, man. It's just too, too much fun. Yeah, yeah, I miss it. I'll, I'll get back to it eventually. Yeah, uh, I hope so. I know you will. That Scarif update's coming soon, so we'll check it out. Uh, for for uh, my uh, Star Wars and Life adventures, you know what? I'll tell you what. I, the biggest adventure I had was the day of this recording, which was yesterday at the time of the release. Uh, I went out to, uh, to get the guard, uh, yard prep for the gardeners every Monday. Just, you know, clean up clean up some dog stuff, you know, make sure the gate's unlocked, all those kind of things. It's my mor- Monday morning uh, routine. And there was a crow and a squirrel fighting for supremacy in my yard. I tweeted about it, but it was true. And I know you, sir, as a, as a squirrel aficionado and appreciator, you would have loved this squirrel. Just it climbed up the electrical pole and was hanging on the wire, but like hands down. I, th- I thought for a second it was dead. I was like, did it, did it get electrocuted? What's going on? And it was just draping itself over the wire. Tail on one end, back legs, front legs. Like he was just like, oh, yeah. And I took a picture of it. I'll, I'll text you the one picture I took that I didn't post. I, I was like, Joseph would appreciate the squirrel's life. Absolutely. Was it just chilling or was it like trying to keep the uh, crow away from its space? It might have been doing something because the crow was on the top of the power uh, the power pole. Just kind of, we've had a problem with crows. They attacked one of our hummingbird nests we had in our backyard. It really broke our hearts and. You know, I just, I've been chasing off crows with my uh, Yoda little uh, walking cane here. If I got from Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> a lot uh, gimmer stick there. And um, I don't know, man, this squirrel, uh, I love squirrels too, not as much as uh, as you, but uh, uh, this squirrel jumped up, climbed up, and I'm t- I got two pictures of it, one hanging over the wire and one literally lounging on uh, like a power box. I called Grace out there. I'm like, look at this guy. And he was just staring down at us like, hello, just <laughs> sunbathing. He was awesome. And that's, that's you, know, you know, for for a lockdown life adventure, this is a good one. That's huge. That's amazing. You, yeah, I saw your tweet. It's great. You got a free sporting event, uh, man. And those, that's a that's a good contender in any sport. A squirrel who has been fully domesticated and is like, what? Uh, yeah, I'm not afraid of you humans. Uh, come on out. <laughs> you want to use my patio too? Because I own this now. Come on out. Yeah. Come on out. Come on out. So that that's uh, that's uh, been my life the last few days here. Uh, work and squirrels. That's about it. <laughs> A little uh, programming note, Joseph. We want to let everyone know. We let everyone know in the Clone Wars report yesterday. Yeah, a lot of Clone Wars to talk. We are going to have an episode of the Clone Wars report Friday. Friday, Friday, because an episode will be released as normal. But then the final episode being released on Star Wars Day, May the 4th. So we'll have uh, a Clone Wars report there. Two Clone Wars episodes and two Clone Wars report episodes this week, Joseph. Yeah, yeah. Nice and exciting. Um and, and we wanted to talk about uh, the uh, YouTube video a little bit, the show and tell, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys, uh, folks out there listening, if you uh, want to see our faces, a lot of times uh, a lot of you might know what we look like. You've seen this enough on social media. I, I get it. I get it. But uh, head on out to our YouTube channel. we got a new episode of Star Wars Show and Tell. And, yeah, special guests. We try to keep it a surprise. But why Why? Why bury a, a bright light? Uh, it is uh, Jennifer Landa's return to the show for uh, at least a segment here. Um, we miss her. You all miss her. And it was great to just have the three of, this, three of us back together, feel that energy, and to see all of our different Star Wars collectibles that we're showing and telling. But it was just fun to have Jennifer on the Force Center airwaves. So, uh, Joseph, they can go find that on the YouTube page. Please do. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I just uh, echo what you said of it's, uh, I love doing the, uh, the podcast with the two of us, uh, but Jennifer just really does add something. I know I just uh, being around her enthusiasm and perspective changes the way that I think and I, I feel and it was just honestly recording that was really, really amazingly fun. So I feel very happy for it. Absolutely. And look, Jen, Jen will be uh, on show and tell when, when uh, she can and quite frankly, when she wants, uh, she's got a Got her hands full, without a doubt, over there. Uh, try being locked down with two kids, dogs, and a husband. You know that's that's a, that's, that's a task. There, it's not just a squirrel <laughs> fighting for a backyard. That's a lot of work there. So, um, uh, we know uh, Jen. Uh, we know Jen is so happy to hear you guys' response to that episode. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, please do. The Immemoriums are up, season two of the Immemoriums. We have the Mall one and a Clone Wars related one coming this Saturday, as well. For Center out and about in the digital media world. On that note, we're going to dive into the news. Joseph, we always say, hey, you know, supersized episode. We know we, we we can run, not long, but we like to take our time over a lot of things. There's a lot to get to today. We'll try to, you know, I'm, I'm going to note to myself, I'm, I'm not going to linger over every little detail here, but there's this was a big Star Wars news week. And we're going to yes. begin with this Headline, unconfirmed, but I'd say confirmed enough from legitimate news movie sites that uh, Russian Doll co-creator and showrunner Leslie Headland now creating a Disney Plus Star Wars show. That's exciting in its own right. The show is said to be female-centric or female-driven, and it's an action series with martial arts elements and set in, quote, an alternate timeline from the usual Star Wars universe. That was according to Deadline. Put a pin in that. Russian Doll, the show, in its first season was nominated for 13 Emmys. And uh, what was interesting is Headland was at the Rise of Skywalker premiere on the red carpet, and she did a great job of lying about working in Star Wars, if this is all true, of course. Um, and one of those great uh, Ewan McGregor honor roll, honor, honorary uh, interview lies when they were uh, <laughs> person interviewing her was like, hey, would you ever want to write a Star Wars? Oh, my God. Yes, I would. Oh, please. That'd be great. Someone make it happen. And the deal was probably already in place. Anyways, that's the headlines. That's the little sub points there. Joseph, dive into this story of uh, this potential Disney plus Star Wars show. Oh, this is super exciting. I'm always happy to hear about more Disney Plus shows coming because I just want as many of them as possible. I want to have a huge variety in uh, every possible way from timeline to creators uh, to topic matters, all that stuff. Uh, but this is particularly exciting because I loved Russian Doll. Russian Doll was really amazing. Uh, and if any of those similar themes or ideas or approaches, uh, obviously I know, uh, that, uh, Leslie Headland is the, uh, co co-creator, co-director. Um, so I'm sure she has a, a bunch of other perspectives and ideas, but Russian doll has got humor. It's got, um, action after a, a sense and is just really interesting thematically. So I'm really excited about this creator just based on Russian doll. That's uh, so. I'm, I'm I'm not super familiar with the show. I'm, I'm familiar with Natasha Leone and her work. And in fact, uh, ran into her once at a Whole Foods in Burbank, and she was dressed like one of the best uh, Star Wars Canto Bite characters I've ever seen. She's got just <laughs> a lot of personality. So who knows? Maybe she'll show up in Star Wars, and that's interesting. Uh, uh, if Leslie uh, Hedlund brings people she's familiar with and wants to work with, that be that be intriguing. So not super familiar with Russian Doll. Uh, without giving away too much plot spoilers, Joseph, how do you think anything from there, other than the big things you just talked about, anything more specific that would translate to Star Wars? 
I think for me, the fact that it is dealing with a with some dark and heady themes about kind of the meaning of life, the meaning of existence, you know, how much you can choose to be the person you want to be versus be trapped in a certain pattern um, all relate to Star Wars. But it's all done with such energy and life and comedy and humanity. Um, I, I think that's the big thing uh, is wrestling with big topics in a fun and exciting thrilling way I look what you're describing you're I'm like you're pitching a jedi show for me <laughs> like, like, okay meaning of life and how we uh oh, that's uh that's awesome yeah yeah it's really really good uh, yeah and we don't so, uh, sorry to cut you off we, we don't want to paint her into any kind of creative corner or box she could do, do something totally different there but but usually you can tell from creators you know what they like to do or how they're able to handle things and you're selling me already here, Joseph. I've sold already. Excellent. Double down, doubling down. Um, yeah. This, sorry, yeah, sorry. Uh, recording remotely, friends. Sometimes we can't see when we're about to talk. Um, this little, I got to admit, this gave me a oof vibe, and I know that that's just is. I'm not ending my journey with this bit of information yet. Alternate timeline from the usual Star Wars universe. That that that's how Deadline phrased it. Uh, nothing confirmed until StarWars.com announces it. I bristle at alternate timeline. I think, Joseph, though, they've just misspoke on how to describe a story outside of this main saga films. You you agree with me on that at all? Or Yes. Uh, I, I think uh, not to be um, too jerky about uh, the writing of the Deadline article, but honestly, I read that and it reminded me of hearing my grandma try to describe He-Man. Like, it just it, to me, it's, it's just uh, coming from the, like, it's somebody who's not intimately familiar with it using weird terminology. It didn't strike me as true. But how did your grandmother describe describe He Man? No, she was just like you know when when we were asking her for for uh, presents for Christmas. I think like there was one time she was like, "So you want the the hawk that lands on the castle face, right?" You know, and uh, she would drive my brother crazy because she always called three PO and R two D two robots, and she said butts in particular. You know, and it was just. <laughs> I'd want to be like the people at Deadline don't get Star Wars, but it just it strikes me as that of like yeah. not realizing that that's I think alternate timeline. I don't take that as ooh they have the skinny that this is a major thing so far. Star Wars, with the exception of interpretations of uh, you know world between worlds, doesn't have alternate timelines. They're alternate universes, um, and to me it just sounds like uh, not a confirmation of that huge Star Wars thing, but a different way to say a different timeline than we've explored, you know, or a, a different part of the timeline. I uh, definitely agree with that. And after I took a breath and read that, I went, ah, okay, let me get some context. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. It's just a, a bad way to describe a, a standalone-ish kind of Star Wars story. I'm excited, but Hey, you know, I'll tell you what though, if this turns out, this is uh, like Bob Iker saying, you're going to find out how Solo gets his name and no, no one believed him. Uh, and this is something completely <laughs> different. Hey, I'm ready to go on any journey. Uh, I just got to, uh, you know, got to wrap my head around some of those things. No multiverses, no multiverses, uh, at least in Star Wars. Uh, so we'll see when more information comes out on the series and anything about it is confirmed. Of course, we'll talk about it more here at Force Center. And here is some confirmed news. We were really hoping for one of these items. Uh, the uh, Cassian Andor series added some more cast. 
I'm sure more on the way, but it gets a new showrunner and more. And this is from Variety. And then later confirmed by StarWars.com, we have Denise Gao. Go, Gao. Oh, boy, I should have looked that up. Uh, she joins uh, the cast, and we can finally confirm that Genevieve O'Reilly will be back as Mon Mothma. I'll stop there, Joseph. Let's talk about the casting because there was some showrunner writing room news after that. What do you think about uh, these two uh, performers joining the cast? Uh, I am not uh, familiar myself with uh, Denise Gao, or uh, however the correct pronunciation is. I also failed. I was too busy uh, watching Revenge of the Sith to uh, look up the actor's name. I apologize. I was also too busy being excited about Mon Mothma because we had this conversation either last week or the week before when other casting rumors were floating about, rumors that are now confirmed. Uh, about who he wanted. And I was like, I want Genevieve O'Reilly to be Mon Mothma. So this was one of those just like, oh, wow, I, I wished for something and it almost instantly <laughs> came true. Uh, not uh, not taking any responsibility, obviously, just uh, very happy about this news. Yeah, and I should say the StarWars.com article did uh, did confirm some of the other names, including uh, Stellan Skarsgård and Kyle Soler, which we talked about last week. You're right. Uh, you, you're right. That's confirmed. Uh, and um, that so, yeah, um, this is uh, for me. Uh, I love the idea of Mon Mothman being around. And uh, we talked we're such a fan of Genevieve O'Reilly and what she's brought to that role. And, and the fact that it connects back to her being in Revenge of the Sith and those deleted scenes. It's just one of those little bits of connectivity that I, I just love. And I can't super explain why other than like, that's that's cool that they reached back to that movie and went like, hey, you, you want to come back as Mothma 11 years later? And it worked. <laughs> And she voices the character in Rebels, and I just love she she seems to have some ownership on this this version of the character, and I, I really like that. And glad she's back. Yeah, yeah, she's just a. I think you know she doesn't have a ton of screen time in Rogue One, and she's absolutely amazing. And uh, this character has such potential for amazing uh, stuff in this exact time period. Uh, now that they've got a little bit more confirmation there as well. Yeah. And uh, look, I think the, the cast is still going to go. I know there's some uh, absolute uh, valuable discussions on what this cast looks like up on a wall right now with Diego Luna and uh, the rest of the cast. Diversity is always uh, something on the minds of a lot of Star Wars fans. As I, I believe it should be. And, uh, you know, the, the cast will roll on. But, uh, you know, this this has um, been a longer. This has been a conversation going back to the Force Awakens black and white cast reveal script read thing where sometimes the optics um, just aren't as good as you'd want them to be, Joseph, right? And and uh, we definitely hope that this cast continues to grow in a lot of ways. Yes, yes. Uh, very, very good point. Um, I, I really do hope for uh, more diversity, but there is that those discussions that you're talking about versus uh, of the what does this show actually end up being versus how do they roll it out? Uh, and I, I hope that we see more diversity. Um I hope we see Enfys Nest in particular as a character, and I think in general, I hope we just see more diversity. And, and a quick note on that too: you, you, we, we've often talked. You, you, your big campaign for give me a El Capitan event for a lot of Star Wars news drops. <laughs> maybe it wouldn't warrant that, but I, I did find it interesting that StarWars.com did come up behind here. They don't do that often. Uh, they're definitely not ahead of it, which is sometimes. I think sometimes why it's sometimes a problem if they were to control more of the information. Uh, or at least get out ahead of it. Uh, that's a discussion that you know, I don't even fully understand that world, so uh, I don't want to comment too much on it. But interesting to see it actually pop up on StarWars.com so closely tied to the, the release of this kind of unconfirmed news from Variety and everything. Yeah. Um, but the information goes on, Joseph. And this is where 
This is why I'm really interested to hear your opinion. So Stephen Schiff, no longer showrunning. Tony Gilroy is now the showrunner. Stephen Schiff will be part of the writer's room, which will include uh, Dan Gilroy, uh, Bo Willimon, uh, among others. Uh, I don't know. I am looking right now on the StarWars.com thing just to see if there's any other names as of right now. Uh, and there's not. Um, but I'm sure the writer's room will be big. But uh, this is your fan of the Americans. You were really excited about Schiff. Um, what do you feel about this headline here? Uh, I like Tony Gilroy as well. So I think there's a part of me that feels like, you know, Stephen Schiff, uh, I did a little bit of research on his career, but you know, he was not the showrunner of, uh, the Americans. He was a uh, writer producer. It means he was up in the ranks a little bit. I think mostly I just feel a little bit like I hope that, uh, he really got the, it seems to me from the outside that he probably pitched this. And they and he, he got this show going and then they wanted a more experienced hand. And so he got pushed to a lower level uh, for Tony Gilroy, who's, you know, got a bunch of movie writing and directing experience as well as Rogue One. So th- th- my first reaction is just I feel bad for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> excellent point. But excellent point that he was, you know, again, he wasn't the showrunner. And that's that's uh, that that's become this title that I, I'll tell you what, I, 20 years ago, even though they existed, we just didn't have those discussions about showrunners, you know, uh, and now they become sometimes the superstars, uh, just like sometimes movie, the movie business is movie star driven, or sometimes it's director driven where the names, the director names are, are bigger than the stars sometimes. Um, so the discussion over who is the showrunner or not is sometimes fascinating to me because years ago you almost, you just wouldn't care, but I think it's valuable stuff. It's behind the scenes information. I think you're, you're, Instincts are right here of, hey, he got it started. And, hey, maybe it's not unlike the Rogue One picture where they were like, oh, this this stuff's pretty good. Can we uh, can we bring someone to blow up some stuff? Yeah. Tell me, what are you doing? And connect it all together. Yeah, yeah. And who knows? It, it, it's probably, you know, who knows? But it might be just as simple as, like, we really love the concept. We're not sure about these early drafts. You know, we want to bring in somebody that we know more. And, hey, Tony Gilroy did a great job with Rogue One. He knows these characters. So here we go. Uh, if I were going to read into it more, I am intrigued that uh, a lot of the people on the writing staff, Stephen Schiff from The Americans, uh, Bo Williman worked on House of Cards, that they all have a pedigree in some... Uh, edgier content than is going to be allowed on Disney Plus. So I wonder if there's also a part where like Tony Gilroy has history of knowing uh, of of taking content that is dark, but still making it PG-13. Mm, good point. Dan Gilroy uh, was uh, worked on Nightcrawler. So yeah, could have some, I like that. I like what you're pitching out there. Some darker themes wrapped up in a nice Mickey Mouse bow. Do that. Uh, final <laughs> yeah. bit of information here is uh, confirmation that the series is set five years before the events of Rogue One and the Battle of Yavin. I love that timeline. Not something that we weren't expecting. You and I were talking about the timeline things of hey, if you're having Mothma, is this before or after her speech, which is approximately two years before Battle of Yavin, Rogue One? The timeline's not in front of me right now. So, uh, any thoughts on five years before the yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great because it means that we are in things are ramping up in the the you know construction of the rebellion, but we aren't at that point of full on declaration, right? Uh, so I think that means there's even more room for this to be 
I'm sure it's going to be an action-packed Star Wars thriller with, you know, cool blaster fights and deadly bounty hunters and all that kind of stuff, but that its heart, it's still going to be something different in that it has room to be a political spy thriller because anything the Rebellion's doing has to be done kind of quietly. Yeah, excellent point. I can't even say too much more about that. I do like that. It isn't a war. It is a, a shadow war at best, and it's going to be exciting. A lot of, uh, lot of tension in those shadows. Uh, next story is uh, pretty cool. Dr. Afra, an origin story. Audio drama is on the way. Sarah Kuhn is the writer of this, and she actually made a, a great video. Just kind of, uh, it's on this story here. If you go to StarWars.com, this comes out July 21st. Well, this is similar to the Dooku Jedi Lost story, be a full cast. And the story is based on the Darth Vader comic moments in which Afra made her debut. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that information uh, drop a little bit. Uh, but that's uh, kind of what we're dealing with here. Uh, uh, Sarah uh, says familiar characters are set to return, uh, and this is great. So, uh, first of all, Joseph, just your thoughts about Afra. Then we'll we'll talk about is this the right format for this particular story about Afra in canon? Yeah, uh, I really like Afra. I've read all the Vader comic ter- comics where she's introduced. I haven't uh, dived into uh, her series yet. That is just a a management of Star Wars Adventure Time. They're all waiting on my iPad, so uh, pretty soon here I'm going to dive in. Uh, I'm very excited for this because I like the character of Afra, and I honestly just like the positivity in the community that so many people are really uh, kind of electrified at this new character who's really popular. So I'm I'm happy to have her legend grow. Uh, yeah, right there with you. It, it is a great character. Uh, it, it inspires a lot of ideas and potential. Sometimes I think uh, that comic series, by the way, is 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 great, but it is bonkers. It is really different because it can be because the Afro character allows that kind of storytelling to happen. So sometimes, even though maybe some of the arcs I didn't like as much, I always love this character and the potential for the character. And more Afro, I think it's a, a good thing. And if you haven't had a really, if you had a chance to dive into Afro, maybe you don't read the comics as much and, and you're not familiar, totally get it. This might be a great point for you to wait and and use as an entry point into this character and hopefully inspire you to, to check out more. So look for that July 21st final story of the week. Uh, story-ish, you know. This is a sources say story, Joseph, that uh, Variety posting, you know, Variety's no uh, slouchy movie blog there that they say Mando 3 already in development. Pre-production and early design is uh, going on, which would be normal if you're getting ready for a third season. Uh, And that uh, story says Johnny Favs has been writing season three, quote, for a while. Now, why I think this is kind of important, Joseph, when Mando was launched, we had no confirmation on the length of the series. Some of us were like, oh, is it a... One season limited series run, two seasons. What do we get? It um, it looks like it's going on. So, what do you uh, what do you feel now about a longer running Mandalorian series? Uh, this doesn't surprise me at all that they have their foot on the gas of uh, of continuing to make Mandalorian since it was what they launched with. Since uh, I think Favreau has a lot of sway at Disney, um, and also I assume that he wants to continue to make movies as well. So it makes sense that he wants to keep working on this. I'm really, really curious, hearing that the season three is moving forward, if The Mandalorian is going to be three seasons, and it is the story of uh, Mando and the child, and that story will resolve, and Mando will walk off into uh, one sunset or two or three, uh, depending on what planet he's on. Um, or, Or if this really is, you know what? It would be cool if this ran... For 15 seasons, this is going to be the law and order of Star Wars, in which case 
the child story would wrap up and then it would be in my imagination what's next and is it going to be the kind of thing where it can sustain the initial story the initial uh draw wrapping up and then uh the mando moving into a different adventure yeah okay yeah so jokes aside i i i hope this I kind of hope this is a three seasons and out or four or five or that there is a finite run. And, you know, Filoni will tell Favreau, hey, if you have a chance to end your show, end it. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah, I never know. Um, not that I don't want some long running show that this couldn't go on that next thing you know, you know, you know, you got Mando meeting with Poe. I don't, you know, I don't mind any of that stuff down the line. I just, um, the show, I, number one, I don't, I gotta say this carefully. I don't want this show to turn into Dave Filoni gets to do sequels uh, and finish stories on some of his other characters. Not that none of that, that a lot of that stuff is spectacular, by the way. Uh, him bringing back Ahsoka into Rebels was one of those like, oh God, didn't see that coming, should have seen it coming, and so glad it, it showed up uh, and she showed up. So, but you know what I mean? I say that carefully, but I just, I still want this to be Favreau telling the story he wants to tell and where it fits into the bigger Star Wars picture. Yeah. I, I If I had to guess, I wouldn't be surprised if it, Given that so much of this is coming from what young uh, John Favreau imagined about if I got to tell a Star Wars story, if he is thinking of it like a trilogy in its three seasons, there, there's something about that to me that uh, that seems powerful. Uh, very powerful. Maxi big is that Maxi big. Um, can I can I share one other thought about the uh, the Favreau? Or not Favra. I'm combining a Favreau and Afra. The Afra. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So much stars. Uh, the fact that they're doing this audiobook really makes me think that there is a is has been rumored a live action or animated Disney Plus Afra show coming because it seems to me to have an audio that is a greatly enhanced different perspectives retelling of her origin story just feels like let's educate more people because they're only so many fans are going to be comic book people and some people just don't read comic books that let's educate people about this character to set her up for her big appearance. I I'm going to, I'm going to put my chips in behind your bet there and, and, and say, I hope that happens. That's it's, it works because you want to get that character outside the medium, which she's most known in and it's the comics, right? So yeah, that's a, that's a different way to do it uh and i like it i like what you're thinking and uh hopefully that's the case we'll see maybe maybe that's what uh leslie headland's work actually uh, that doesn't sound like an alternate timeline i don't know maybe afro falls into <laughs> World War and ends up in modern day new york i don't know we'll see um so that's uh the headline there mando three uh afro audiobook cassie and andor keeps growing and leslie headland of russian doll fame now working in the star wars galaxy so we're out of here on the news we take a quick break in a moment and come back to talking about the evil folks in the galaxy which afra can be when she wants to be but first a force center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us joseph this one is a great choice for today's topic it's like you planned it it is uh the big plan the master plan is to recommend lords of the sith by paul s camp this is a great book if you like me you ever wondered at the end of revenge of the sith how awkward is it when uh, vader and palpatine are just hanging out this book answers that question in a very very exciting way it is very exciting it's 
I, I don't have the time. I don't have the time yet, but I am waiting to get back into some of the older canon, new canon books that came out in 2014, 2015, 2016 range just to relive them. And, and this is one of those books. And you can do that too, whether it's your first time or maybe you want to hear it again for the first time. Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash force center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center for your free audio book on that note we are going to take a quick break reset and have this big discussion on the evil folks in the galaxy and why we love them stick around this is force center Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Force Center. We are here on the deck of our Superstar Destroyer about to take a deep dive into, I guess I'll say something close to my heart, but we're going to find out why. <laughs> Enjoying the evil in Star Wars. Joseph, what's on the... What's on the agenda today for this discussion? Yeah, yeah. You always uh, introduce the show as, as being on the uh, the Super Star Destroyer of our fleet, that we're on the deck there. And, and this is the episode where, where we can really feel like we're going to destroy some stars, right? We're just going to lean into it. We're going to enjoy that evil. Um, I wanted to talk about this in particular uh, because y- you often mention that you're a big fan of the Imperials, and we talk a lot about the... Um, the bad guys, the dark side users, because they're major characters in Star Wars. But I wanted to talk a little bit about like who we love, why we love them, and kind of what it means to really love, identify, whatever it is, how we're attached to the bad guys. Mm, good. I think I'm going to learn some stuff today. <laughs> uh, welcome to Enjoying the Evil or Ken Counseling. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, so I want to start, uh, if, as we often do, uh, back in the olden days when you and I were, were children. As a kid, did you always love Darth Vader or were you ever afraid of him? Oh, yeah, I was, I was afraid. Um, my sister was definitely afraid. My sister, in a viewing of, uh, she's four years younger than me, so she was about three or four. And in a viewing of uh, Return of the Jedi at... Uh, Fair Oaks Theater in Royal Grande, California. I remember the row even practically. Uh, she started bawling when Vader and the Emperor came down <laughs> out, of the, out of the shuttle tide or the or the Lambda class shuttle there. Um, oh yeah, so I had a little bit of that, um, but not so much. I think uh, I think I was pulled in early by the dark side. Yeah, yeah. I don't ever remember being afraid of him on screen. Like, ooh, he came on screen and I was uh, I was frightened or, you know, I saw a picture of him and like, oh, no, Vader. Uh, we went to something when I was very young. Um, I don't remember what it was. It was there was some event where as a promotional thing, uh, R2 was there. They had, you know, they just had, you know, somebody in an R2 costume or a, you know, whatever it was they managed uh, back in those old days. If it was radio controlled or whatever. Uh and I became frightened because I thought Vader would be there in person because if R2 is there in person, then Vader might be there in person. And that was the only time I ever got frightened of like, no, it's cool when he's on screen or in a book, but he can't be here. He can't be with me. No, (laughs) no, 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 not the Vader, (laughs) which uh, it's funny to me, but I also think we'll talk about it a little bit. I think there's something to that uh, feeling that is what is so attractive about the bad guy, bad guys is the idea of them is great, uh, but you don't want to deal with the reality. Um, did you ever tease your sister? Did you ever like, you know, surprise her by putting on a Vader mask and running into her room? No, no, I didn't do that. I think, no, definitely not. Um, you know, I, I pay for that pay for that but uh yeah no 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 i think uh and she didn't really watch much star wars, star wars after that so uh yeah i don't think there'd be any reason to but uh, now i wish i did yeah <laughs> well it's never too late right yeah. uh, how did you feel about the emperor as a kid you you saw return of the jedi first uh, we know from your star wars history uh were you equally fascinated with the emperor did he scare you more or less than vader 
he 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 scared me, but in that kind of intriguing way. Uh, I I definitely lightning bolts, all that kind of stuff, kind of got to me. But I definitely definitely was afraid. But I'll tell you, early on, I discovered that the actor in that outfit was like young. Like I I tell you that that's been in my mind for a long time, and then I just was blown away by that. And fascinated by just the performance aspect of it. That that that's something that got me early. So I was, I think, because of that, more just obsessed and focused with the Emperor. And I remember reading the Star Wars novelization around that time. It's you know when I've really fallen in love with Star Wars. And that that opening prologue we mentioned a lot um, to see or to learn that that guy, the Emperor, was something else that he had become started out as something else before becoming that, even though the story was a little different, it was painted a little different in that prologue of he surrounded himself by people that maybe manipulated him instead of the other way around, whatever details don't mind. It just was that, that Palpatine name and what he became. I was like really drawn into that early on. Yeah. Okay. So you were really at a point to like uh, want to process it and think about it. You were never at a point of just being frightened. Correct. Correct. I was daydreaming about a young palps long before I even knew you should, you know. <laughs> nice. You're too busy uh, daydreaming about Sheev. You didn't even know the name yet, but it was there in your heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it was, and, and I was a little bit older, obviously, but like by the time Dirty Rotten Scoundrels comes out and McDarmid plays the butler in that. And when I realized that upon doing it, I think first on VHS at home, I didn't go to the theater or anything, but my mom and dad were watching that. And and I was like, "What? That, uh, this, that's the Star Wars guy!" Like, <laughs> blown away, blown away even more by that. And uh, that that is the Emperor. Then I was like, "Is that kind of what he looked like in in back when he ran for office?" <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> when he was just a simple butler, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for myself, I think, you know, uh, I had a little bit of time to live with Vader, uh, you know, met the idea of the Emperor in Empire Strikes Back in that original, you know, uh, Clive Revel, um, Marjorie Eden, uh, monkey <laughs> mashup yeah. uh, is so great. Um, but it, he Vader was like the big bad. Vader was the, ooh, could Luke ever possibly defeat him? So I think when I saw Return of the Jedi and, and we were asked to relate even more to vader and consider the possibility that he could be good vader really shifted in my imagination and palpatine you know immediately became in my mind this ultimate evil and i think there was i I liked him you know but i've talked about this before he was just he wasn't as bizarre as some of the other things i'd seen in star wars he was like this incredibly gross old man in a robe he was an evil wizard i think there was something even though he was a cackling wizard who shot lightning from his hands. There was something a little bit more real about him uh, because I'd certainly had as a, as a young person interactions with people who were very old and kind of mean, you know, Uh, (laughs) not generalizing. I've known some really great old people. I hope to be a really great, very old person. Uh, but, you know, if you're a little kid and you, you're just in a store and you you see a super old person and they seem very angry, you know, like I had that kind of fear of him. Like he's this uh, more almost real world adult uh, who's just ancient and evil. I mean, you're stumbling into something of why we could have that Palpatine discussion on another day and we have and we'll have again. But just the idea of like maybe that's why it works so well 
is he is just that he is just old guy in cape and that is more realistic of a threat uh not even making a comment on on old guys in capes like like you you aren't either just but just you know what i mean like it isn't a space slug it isn't a, a robot in a cape like we you grew up you know you're not sure what vader is you know until the final moments it's just it is what it is evil dude in cape and and, and gown yeah, yeah, and I think you, you're helping me uh, put put my finger on it because yeah, I I am uh, big against ageism. I think that is one of the uh, self owns that we have as as a group. It's a <laughs> cultural self own that we're like, well, you reach this age, you know, and then eh, everything's downhill from here. I think we shouldn't do that at all. Uh, so it isn't like an ageism thing. I think what it is is because you can see his face. And it isn't even about age. It feels like the evil rotted him. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I felt that as a kid, that he's, that guy's rotten. Like, <laughs> you know what happens to apples? It happened to that guy because of his soul, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, lot, lot to play with in, in how I saw the emperor as a kid. But we're going to move on to uh, some other uh, childhood perceptions. And then we're going to get into adult life. Uh, you gravitated from an early age to the Imperials. We've talked about that. Um, you've talked a little bit about why, and, and please tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but, um, you, you, your, your family has a history in the army and in, in, uh, police and, and that uniform aesthetic was powerful to you. Is that, was that a big part of it or, or was there more to it? I, I think it eventually becomes a bigger part of it. Um, and it, I always make the joke. I'm not the first to make it. In fact, I, I, I believe Pablo tweeted about it years ago, um, the bad guys have the cooler toys. This goes to being a child of the eighties and I had more Cobra vehicles and figures than I did GI Joe. I had more Decepticons than Transformers. Uh, I think mask and Robotech are the only things that I went towards the uh, good team more than the bad team. And, and even then Robotech, like the cool toys were all around and not that, not that the X wings aren't damn cool. And I don't love my Y wings, but as a kid, it just I went to the the hiss tank, you know. The I always make jokes about my adult feelings for Zori Bliss. Let me tell you about the Baroness on Cobra. All right, <laughs> um, so all of that that's where it really starts. It just kind of went there, and yeah, some of that stuff goes in. And as I get older, you know, yeah, some of that um, uh, just what fuels your 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 brain or how you get hardwired starts factoring in a little bit. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the adult side of it later on. But, yeah, that's where it starts. A, a lot of it. It's a, it's a tapestry. Yeah, they, but the part of it is the cooler toys. Interesting. Yeah, um, definitely. Did your parents notice or care that you were more interested in amassing uh, collections of evil in your toys? <laughs> well, see, <laughs> they weren't concerned because I liked the Empire or Cobra. They were concerned because... I liked the devil's toys. Um, I was uh, part of that generation, uh, uh, a child of the church, which I have no problems with. I don't want anyone to take it that way. Uh, but it was, it was a period of time where I had um, my He-Man toys taken by some members of our church with, with not like stolen, but they came to my house. My mom said, we're going to give them away for a little bit and you'll get them back. And they studied the toys because uh, I went to a public school and everyone else in my church generally went to a, a private Christian school. My parents couldn't afford that. I was at a public school. So I was like, I don't know. I was like the test subject. I don't know. 
I haven't really. I'll go back into therapy to figure this out. So they were all taken in my comic books and everything, and they and they like studied them. And in place, I was given like a King David action figure. (laughs) I wish to this day I still had. I don't know what happened to it. Um, And so, jokes aside, that that to answer your question, it's a great question. You would think if if they were, you know, if I had a a kid right now, uh, and and I looked and I was like, hey, you're really, really into General Hux. (laughs) What's going on? Let's figure this out. Uh, Not that it's bad, but like, hey, let's figure it out. So, no, they were more concerned about just that. And I I will say there was a problem. It didn't dump because my dad will go watch Star Wars with me. That's it's not a problem now, but. There was a conversation I had about he was really unhappy with the mysticism of George's George Lucas's religion. Okay, so and upset about that. Um, so yes, so <laughs> they did notice, not for the reasons you'd want them to notice. <laughs> okay, so they they had um, uh, bigger concerns than the fact yeah. that you uh, wanted a stormtrooper more than uh, you wanted uh, yeah. X-wing pilot Luke Skywalker. In fact, in in many ways, Luke and his belief in that weird religion might have been more of a problem. <laughs> yeah, yep. The stormtrooper looks scary, but it's that farm boy. That's the one you got to watch out for. Uh, yeah, I had a slightly different uh, sort of dynamic. Um, I definitely liked the bad guys. I had a, a Vader action figure. Uh, very, very upset when I had Chewie hit him in the head, and his head actually fell off, and that was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother tried to glue Vader back together. Uh, <laughs> And I, and I love the stormtroopers. The stormtrooper for a while when we were moving around a lot like that, when we would go to look at a new place to live, I would yeah. bring my stormtrooper action figure and set it up to see if it felt right, you know, in this new place. So like it definitely had a connection to the evil guys, but it was just a part of the whole oeuvre of Star Wars where I ran into some parental uh, judgment fear is that as I expanded out from Star Wars to uh, like Transformers in particular, uh, my mother started getting concerned about the difference between guns and blasters. Like the fantasy of evil in Star Wars was kind of okay, but like she she didn't ever really want me to get into G.I. Joe um, because it, it's absurd now to think of G.I. Joe being more realistic uh, yeah. given how, how much fantasy is in it, as, as I understand it. Um, but there was this this concern that anything that's getting too real with real life guns might be sort of a uh, in in her mind i think at the time fetishizing violence you know real world violence and where the blasters were a little bit enough of an illusion i think that's what she told herself i think she also just knew that she would rip my soul in half if she told me i couldn't play with star wars anymore <laughs> that's hey and that, that works for me though i get it and she's not wrong look megatron transformed into a 45 <laughs> what that was pretty direct yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I, I did get to have optimus prime but i couldn't have megatron see that's not wrong that's not wrong at all <laughs> yeah maybe they just had issues with uh, again that the canonical difference in size that transformers fans have <laughs> long debated <laughs> yeah. i'm a semi well i'm a semi-sized gun all right. <laughs> all right all right you do you megatron uh this isn't a transformers podcast so we're gonna move on uh, we've talked a little bit about some of our experiences in perceptions as young people. Now we are adults who uh, can and do intellectualize our feelings about Star Wars a lot. So I made a list of uh, different reasons that uh, I think that we love the bad guys. And I want to talk about which ones speak to you and how. Uh, so the first one is just this base level. I will call it 
a a kind of dark wish fulfillment. Uh, and it is the fantasy of letting go, not only just being powerful, but the fantasy of you have a lot of power, you give in to your anger and you let go and you just get to do that instead of holding yourself back, which I think is true of a lot of evil characters, but it's so explicitly the story of the dark side of the force of giving in to your anger and then you get to do whatever you want. Did that speak to you as a kid? How do you think about that now? 100%. 100%. This, this is, I think a big core of, of, of the uh, obsession with, with bad guys, heels, villains, whatever you want to call it, whatever term, whatever arena. And it starts there. I loved force choke abilities, man. And I didn't question, you know, a lot of people get this, uh, you know, uh, Luke choking the Gamorrean guards and they say, yeah, well, you know, this is why Trevorrow's necessary rage is is not a bad thing. Um, it's a great misun- misunderstanding of, of of that scene. But I, as a kid, was obsessed with that because what power I could have with that. And there you go. And it, I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, going. I wish I could force choke Danny on the playground because he, <laughs> you know, because I'm one of those kids. I was I was literally bullied for loving Star Wars. I know you've battled with that too. And so to have that. You know, it, you, I, it, I'm not tr- I'm not fighting it. I don't, my desire is to not fight it like may, maybe Luke would throwing down a lightsaber and finding another way. My desire is to fight it with the bad guy in the cape and, and choke. And I think it starts there. And then it goes on into what you're talking about. This is why um, rooting for the villain became not just something you kind of secretly did as a pro wrestling fan, but in the mid-90s became what you did because exactly what you're describing that guy that girl are saying what i wish i could say to my boss and i love it when a year ago that was a bad guy you booed you know yeah and it's a big comment beyond star wars and just what we do with our dark desires but uh it begins there yeah that we that we channel them in this sort of a safe way of what if what if um yeah i remember uh Certainly there's the fantasy for both the good good guys and, and the bad guys of having power. But I remember one particular uh, time in school, I think around fourth grade, where I was getting really angry uh, with some of the dynamics at school. And I imagined myself as Vader just uh, throwing a chair at somebody. And it felt great to imagine just like, yeah, you can't mess with me. There goes the chair flying at you. And I remember thinking through... Why can't I be Vader? Because like I can't use the force, but I could pick that chair up and I could throw it at that jerk. And then thinking like, yeah, but then Mr. File is going to be really disappointed in me. And I do like Mr. File and Mr. File is going to tell my parents and then I'm I'm not going to get that superpowers Aquaman action figure that (laughs) I was told I could get if I had a good week, you know, Uh, and I really did walk through the why can't I do that? Wow. And I, you know, as you're talking I'm, and I'm hearing myself and I'm talking to you and we're talking about being young, right. And how you're looking at the empire strikes back scene. You're like, that's a great plan. Throw things with your mind at the guy. I, you know, what a powerful thing about George, man. What about George going? Yeah, I know human nature. Let me tell you about the choices that, 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 that'll, what that'll do to you. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's one of the powerful things about bad guys in Star Wars. Uh, again, not not that it doesn't happen with bad guys in other places, but it's so much about Star Wars. You start with that uh, kind of first line of the the fun fantasy of what if I let go and what if I had all this power. But then it goes pretty quickly to uh, the lesson of 
how much pain those choices will cause not only to others, but to you. Uh, how, how does that one hit you when you're enjoying the evil of Star Wars now as an adult and we're talking about these stories? Uh, how much does the the flip side of the wish fulfillment, the moral lesson of, yeah, but it's just going to bring you and others pain. How much of that is your interest in evil? Um, now it is. Now it is as a, as a case study, right? That's why I think I love Kylo Ren. I love the conflict, everything. And, and I love it from a different point. I'm not, you know, maybe if I was 10, 15 years, 20 years younger, who we can, um, I, I can't be ages against myself. Can't be, Richard. <laughs> um, you know, then I'd look at Kylo as, as a more like, yeah, I see myself in that. Now I look back and see it, or now I just look at the story and go, wow, what an interesting journey. And what an interesting just kind of explanation of that character's evil and where it came from and what it, what it was. So now I'm more fascinated with that, but I'm fascinated with going back and looking at it. I didn't look at, you know, I didn't look at Vader. Number one, I looked at him as the bad guy, then Luke's dad and gets saved. And, you know, as a kid, you're not thinking too much about, you're just thinking that Luke did it, right? You're not thinking how Luke did it, why Luke did it that way. The big question we always ask here, why, why, why? So uh, it does... It has more meaning now. And again, even as you're talking, as you're talking, something I, you know, we're going to talk about it even more, but it's just like to, to hear that, that speech of George in the Clone Wars writing room that's went around about the dark side and lights of the force and greed and everything and how it never stops and never fulfills you. Like he, he knew what he was doing, this modern myth. He knew what he was doing and it, it's powerful, more powerful now than it was then. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, using Vader as sort of a case study. I think, you know, as I was growing up, you know, uh, seeing the seeing him in the meditation chamber and seeing the back of his head was at first just like, oh, cool. We get to see a little bit of what's under the mask. Uh, but then it was like, oh, as you, as you get older, you realize like that. Well, that's a moment of vulnerability. That's a moment of here's where these choices lead you. Uh, that, you know, becomes a huge theme of Return of the Jedi when you got that great shot of Luke looking at Vader's severed hand with the uh, the sparking uh, wires and the scars of war and looking at his own hand and going, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be nothing but a scar from war. Uh, it, and you, you get it starts to humanize Vader. And yeah. that's powerful enough. But for me as an adult going through the prequels, you know, as they came out, I loved them, but I had a lot of criticisms, all that kind of stuff. But when we got to Revenge of the Sith and super cool badass vader had been advertised up and down in 2005 right every image is flames and vader and vader's back the ultimate badass one of the number one cool villains of all time and you get to the end of the actual movie and he's just where is padme is she all right and you you're left at that end of the movie with he's gotta sit there thinking palpatine played me and he's got to lie to himself he didn't end up with anything he wanted and it just drives home that lesson for me always of if i choose to let go i'm not gonna be happy with with what i get in return right i love that you brought that up i love that you brought that padme no moment up mocked you know know, some good reason the way maybe the execution of the scene i don't know Uh, but at the time, I'm I'm with you too. We we I I used to say, ah man, I wish uh, episode two, the turn of Vader happened in episode two, and the Revenge of the Sith was just him chopping down Jedi. And I'm saying this in my mid twenties. And then you know, and that scene of the Padme thing, we're not not only we're not looking at the lessons, we're not we're not focusing where George wanted us to focus. 
and that that big bad guy that you grew up idolizing with all your toys in the 80s is broken because of the choices. It's all right there, but we were just like, oh, and he walks like Frankenstein. Stupid. And that's where part of my journey, and I'm so thankful that I met you, sir, that you just you really helped take it, take it over the finish line of just this, like, look at what's there, man. Look at what George <laughs> is telling you. That's your badass. And it's not that he's a wimp or that he's, he's broken and he was played and he was tricked and all these kind of things. And that is the story. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm 25 going, I wanted to see him cut that kid's head off. What <laughs> <laughs> says stuff about me then, you know, but I know I wasn't alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, you know, I, when he first wakes up then, you know, where's Padme? Is she all right? Great. You know, I think I had some, uh, I didn't struggle with it as much as some other people, but the Frankenstein walk and the big no, it was, you know, definitely something that I had to sit with. But re- the image that really stuck with me was the very end for Vader of, uh, Tarkin and Palpatine and just looking at the Death Star and him just standing there and me just thinking, you don't have anything you wanted. You didn't mm-hmm. get anything out of giving everything. And that's the powerful thing to me. It's uh, You're so right. And I'm going to bring uh, the, the, the Padme. Uh, one specific thing I had said was like, you have, and to my friends, you have Jay, you bring Jack back, James Earl Jones. And, and you have him say, Padme, where's Padme? I remember I was saying this at a party. Or I didn't go to a party much in my mid-20s. But, <laughs> you know, and like, and this is where I was so lost on the surface of the story. And you're so right, because those two moments go together. Because I, I liked the end shot. Oh, that was pretty cool, though. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. They got Vader, the Tarkin's, oh, Tarkin, I know Tarkin. And they got the Death Star. But what you're saying, those are two connected moments. You go through that whole journey, that whole journey, and you come out of it, and the first thing is, where's the person I love? Because that's all I wanted to do. And the guy goes, oh, you, you lost her. Yeah. And nothing. And all the coolness and the arms folded to look as tough as you think you are, and that cape and the weaponry means nothing. It means nothing. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's so powerful uh, that you get the the dark uh, wish fulfillment, which I think is is healthy and needed. But then it, Star Wars almost always comes with the. But where does that lead? Um, yeah. Which brings me to my next uh, bullet point is the idea of the relatability of the motivations of villains like Kylo and Vader. So, so we talked about the fantasy of it and where those choices lead, but but particularly with Kylo, um, that we're really kind of let in. And ask to see where they're coming from. Anakin, too, of course. Uh, but I just think of Kylo because it's it's recent and it's affected a lot of people and they talk about it. How do you feel yeah. about villains in Star Wars being really relatable where you cannot agree morally with what they do, but you can understand why they did it and maybe even relate to why they made that really bad choice? It's 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 so needed. And. I, I think George saw that too, which is why, you know, New Hope Vader is presented. He's presented a lot differently, and it, and it may or may not, you know, where at what point he wanted to connect Vader to Luke is often debated, right? It's often debated. Um, I love that kind of stuff. In fact, I got a belated birthday gift, but I forgot to up in my life. I got a belated birthday gift. I got the Star Wars archive book, that one that weights about the size of a small car. Ooh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And there's, I'm already pouring through some of those Kasdan, Richard Marquand, George Lucas conversations that are just 
fascinating. So I'm going to go pour through some of the New Hope stuff. I don't know what George, you know, he, he changes his own history sometimes, quite frankly. But he does. New Hope, New Hope Vader is the one we all thought as a kid kind of fell in love. Stoic, evil bag. I, I, it just, it's so. My favorite, one of my favorite moments is Empire is Luke saying no and jumping off. And Vader's kind of like drops his shoulders and shrugs. And I don't know what he's feeling. Well, that sucked. Well, that didn't go the way I planned. And oh, man. My son just dropped to his death. Like, it's a sad, powerful moment that's more valuable to me as a Vader fan, quote unquote, than anything in the New Hope hack and slash uh, kind of presented Vader. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I like that you brought that up. It is just more, and Kylo's even, Kylo is in some ways even a more interesting villain to me. I think I always love Vader more just because I grew up with him, but like Kylo just is even more realistic and it just, it, it just makes, makes everything about the character just more robust, more wonderfully evil because it, 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 it doesn't seem like a far stretch for something I would do. <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's what it is is I, I think for me it's like this is you know depending on exactly which part of star wars you're watching it is still mythic storytelling uh and and it is meant to be didactic and teach us lessons and those lessons come across powerfully because you know none of us know exactly what it's like to be a space wizard uh destined to be one of the most powerful space wizards like ben solo but yeah. i you can certainly relate to uh, my mom, who I really love, seems worried about me, so she sent me away. And my dad was never quite around as much as I wanted him to. And my uncle seems to have these weird expectations, and I, I got some other bad influences uh, uh, whispering at me, and I have all of these doubts and don't get to choose who I get to be. All those individual pieces are like, yeah, of course we can relate to those as humans. Um and it makes it, it, it turns the mythic into the relatable and also uh, tells, helps you feel like I, you can learn from it and that there are lessons here, I guess. Yeah, it all comes down to those choices, the lessons. Yeah, uh, I, I don't want to turn this into, a, uh, like I always do with some kind of Game of Thrones side talk, but it's, <laughs> the, 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 the character of Cersei Lannister just goes through all these things. And the more you peel back the layers, the more you're like, I understand everything she's done, but I can't support what she did, but I understand it and how sad and tragic that fall is. So, uh, Kylo has a lot of that going back to, to, uh, force awakens, go back when he, when he takes off that helmet, he starts losing, he loses his first battle with Ray, but also when he, t the helmet's off in front of Snoke and Hux and Hux has the advantage. Like it, it, you start to learn a lot about Kylo early on. I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely great um, for just being relatable. And uh, even though it's a uh, evil space wizard, you can also say, hey, I get you. Um, I want to talk about the toys in a way. Uh, you brought it up, the uh, that joke that uh, the bad guy, we like the bad guys because they have cooler toys. Uh, they do look and sound cool, right? Uh, the yeah. Especially you go to somebody like uh, Vader or even Kylo, this aesthetic of darkness, uh, deep voices, armor, uh, blazing red lightsabers. That goes for a ton of the different villains. If you're you know fan of various Sith from uh, Expanded Universe Legends, it just kind of, even Boba Fett in some ways kind of falls into that of like cool armor. Oh, those are, you know, Wookiee braids. He took from Wookiees he killed. He's got flamethrower and <laughs> rocket launcher and knee darts and like it goes on and on of just the cool um what what do you think that is why why is that cooler uh than han solo in a vest if it is to you 
Yeah, well, no, as you're talking, I'm looking around at some of the stuff I have displayed in my room. I got a wall of figures and my speeder bikes and all those kind of things I like. I, I, I'm trying to just think about Star Wars. Uh, the task of hand is talking about evil in Star Wars. I'm looking at a speeder bike. It's it's sleek. The design is just 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 awesome. It just looks like it, it it looks like it should be. That's a motorcycle in space. Holy crap! That's what that is, and it goes fast. Looks cool. Speeder bikes, everything. Um, the rebels are ragtag. Han is ragtag. Now, I, I think an X-wing, in retrospect, is a lot sleeker than I gave it credit for as a kid. <laughs> Y-wing is the Y-wing. It's Y. Who wants to make something after the letter Y? I love Y-wings, but they're these bulky bombers. Tie fighters, even the tie bombers, are, they just look better the the starter stories look better so we're kind of sold this idea because it's this well-oiled machine that's what lucas is telling us it's these plucky rebels it's the battlestar galactica fleet a ragtag fleet of cargo ships basically trying to get get to somewhere safe and these uh you know this these cylons are attacking them i i i was always fascinated with uh, with the uh battlestar galactica late 70s uh, show in that regard um, and then got even better in the reboot, but you know what I mean? You know, so like George has that same kind of thing in Battlestar, you know, we'll see, you know, there's some thoughts on how much, uh, it was based on Star Wars. Or not. <laughs> um, but it's that thing. So we're sold that. So I think, I, I think I'm just naturally, I gravitated. Then there's this other side of just, so you keep talking about wish fulfillment and fantasy fulfillment. So there's this fulfillment of, man, I'd love to walk in a room and throw something at someone I don't like, but, I, as a shy kid, this is really specific to me. Maybe someone out there can, can grab onto it. As, as a shy kid who had dreams of being you know, maybe in front of a camera on stage or something, and that's where I come to life, there's something really intriguing to me about walking into a room and having one, everyone fear you, everyone immediately know you're there, and to have just this steely, icy clank of your boots, a mask and a cape. I, you know, Everyone loves capes in Star Wars. Krennic, man. I'm, I'm like Krennic. Well, give me a cape. I'll look cooler. And so there's that's part of the wish fulfillment, too. It's not just the given to my desires. Just I'll command a room. Now, look, Han commands a room. Lando, holy crap, he commands a room. <laughs> you can't tell me Leia doesn't turn heads for a lot of multi-layered reasons when she walks into a room. But as a, as a youngster, and it sticks with us, black, red, blades, horns, evil. You are to be feared when you walk into a room. It's really, it's a, it's confidence, but it's misplaced confidence when you're from the outside <laughs> watching it. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's really personal for me. I just yeah. would love walking into a room looking like that. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, my, my example of, uh, of Han in the vest, I did not mean to offend uh, uh, Han or his vest. He looks cool. But what I'm speaking to is I think the armor in particular, um, because if you love the character Han, great you you want an action figure of him and he does look really 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 cool uh but i think i'm talking about the armor yeah i think for toys there's a little bit of that like well they're more alien they're more exotic they're more bizarre you know uh as cool as han looks you can see other people uh who look like him particularly when battlestar galactica ripped off his pants moments later (laughs) uh but you can't see anything quite like the collection of armored you know terrors that star wars presented so i think there's that that they look different but i think you're right that there is a um there's a power in the appearance the that that everyone would have to turn and look at you and you would command respect but also you still have uh the benefit of anonymity you're not vulnerable because people people don't see you 
they see this projection of your power. Mm. Yeah. What, what What's cooler in Star Wars than the double door sliding open and there's Darth Maul and everyone's got to go, we'll take the long way. Thanks, Padme. Great comedy line. <laughs> and the cool Jedi, we'll take this. We got this, whatever, you know. Uh, well, that, that's, that's one of the most... Uh, Iconic moments. Forget that it's also where we see the double bladed lightsaber, but you know what I mean? Like doors open. Ah, oh, crap. We got to deal with this monster. And I yeah. think that's the appeal. Yeah. I think for me as an adult too, and I may, maybe it is just something in, in the back of a, a child's brain. I, th- I think kids want to play with darkness. They want to know, you know, uh, they want to know the, the full picture, not the narrow dogmatic view <laughs> of just goodness and light. Right. Um, but I think there's, for me as an adult, and I'm going to sound like a 16-year-old goth kid, but the villains in Star Wars in particular, since we're let in a little bit, we know that they represent not just anger, but they represent pain and horror. And I think, to me, there's something about uh, these mythic characters that absolutely epitomize the reality that there are incredibly hard and difficult and painful things in life. It makes us uh, warm to them. Make, you know, I think when I dig down, I think that's a part of the reason I think, why do I think that is cool? I don't believe in that. I don't think that's a way to conduct yourself in the real world. Uh, but just knowing that Vader is out there in, in this imaginary world, just stewing in pain, it makes me feel like, okay, that part of the real world is real that that kind of pain exists and it's okay for me to acknowledge it. Mm. Mm. That makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. It's I, you know, and you're yeah, such go ahead. A good, no, I just, you're such a good Jedi. Like, uh, <laughs> one of the things I, I uh, really do love and respect about you is like saying the Schmodown, which is this, wow, we play these characters, whatever. You're like, no, no, I'm going to put on Jedi robe and I'm going to be a beacon of light. And I'm like, I'm going to grab a skull mask and I'm going <laughs> to uh, like the the villain in Willow with the skull, and I'm gonna put a cape because I'm gonna live out this fantasy. And you, you have the ability to be like, no, I I could go that way, but I'm gonna connect with this. <laughs> and and I, I've always loved that about you. Uh, well, same with Alex. Alex is like, let me get a cool Han Solo jacket, and about that. Well, I appreciate that. I think part of it comes from uh, I have not always done that in my life. Uh, Phantom Menace came out. I had a baseball cap that I wore all the time uh, that said uh, Sith Lord on the front and Jedi do not concern me on the back. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I loved Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Maul was so cool because he's so evil. He, so, he looks yeah. satanic. and He's got double-bladed red lightsaber and he's just, he's pure hate. He's so awesome. Um and I do think that it's fine. It's great for us to like these characters for all the reasons that we're we're talking about. But I think there's, for me, um, life adventures where, in in something that's performance based, like the Schmodown, um, mm. I've I've absolutely gone there and done that. You know, I used to be totally into. I want comedy. Comedy sucks unless it bites. Like it's got to be satire. It's got to be tearing people down. That's what comedy is. And, and I, I believe that that is a part of comedy, but I got to a point for myself in my life where it's like, I don't want that to be all of it. Like I would get joy out of being a heel on the schmodown and getting to be like, all right, you want to play? I'll be more clever than my opponent. I will say the most biting, awful thing. And it might be good for the show, but there's just a part of me. just like, I just don't want to do that. Even though it's, even though it's a game, it's a joke. I can feel myself like, what's that moment where I have a joke against a competitor 
and it would be funny, but I know in my heart of hearts it's too close, it's too real. Mm-hmm. And I would be tempted to go for it. I know I would if I put on the dark side mask. Uh, yeah. And for me, that's a part of it. It's like processing what does all this stuff mean in the fun fantasy of Star Wars and how does it translate into our real life? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and just keep coming back to this wish fulfillment there. Just like it's, it's, yeah, there's no consequences in that regard. You don't have to deal with what's real behind these choices. And uh, I keep going back to George going, be careful of those choices. Because if you make, <laughs> you make one of those, I've been on stage with you when you've made uh, a little fun crack about, uh, I remember the specific one about me and Alex stole that answer from you because we just guessed the letter C and it was a name we couldn't pronounce. Which was an abiding comment of the game. And it was hilarious and fun and effective. But that you, if you if you didn't stop there, that could be, that could dominate your path. You know, uh, yes. Great stuff. And, and, and it's powerful for you to know that about yourself and that some of these characters then eventually start to learn that about themselves and can't turn away from it and have to make decisions yeah. around. Them. Yeah. Love, love, uh, love talking evil with you, Ken. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on a little bit. Um, so there is obviously a lot of horror in star Wars, but uh, many parents seem okay with you know, hey, here, here, have a have a Vader and me book. Uh, have some Vader bed sheets. Yeah, we know he murdered some children, but Vader's cool with us. Why do you think Star Wars does seem to have a magic to it that uh, lets people play, lets parents feel okay with their their kids playing with Vader and Kylo Ren toys and embracing that exploration of evil. Man, that's a great question. I, as a non-parent, I don't know. I'd love this is where we really uh, miss Jennifer's uh, perspective of, of what do you do? Because like I, I go to my cousin, uh, Michelle, and I had the chance to, you and I were actually out in Vegas for this trip uh, for a Wizard World convention a couple of years ago now. And it was her daughters were now teen, pre-teen age, like 13, 12 range. Uh, back then they were like 9, 10, 11 range, two, two daughters. And they went to, the, I got to take, take them to the first convention. And one of her daughters dressed up as Ray. The other daughter dressed up as Kylo by choice and wanted to be Kylo. And like, she was going to let her take the adventure. And I was just like, this is awesome. This is great. But yeah. Yeah. What is that? What, what do you do as a Baron? If you, if you're hyper aware, I don't know if my cousin was super high hyper aware at the time other than, Oh, cool. Red lightsaber. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, but you know, what does it say about you when you're drawn to this tormented, <laughs> tormented uh, character? And it doesn't, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's what is that journey? I don't have that answer. Because I think you and I are also too way too knowledgeable on what that might mean now. Because it might just be, you know, I thought the Baroness was cute in her glasses and leather outfit. I didn't know that she was trying to destroy freedom. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't think it's like a kid being like, well, uh, you know, Dad, I want to dress up as Kylo Ren because I am upset with you and I know the history there. Like, no, I... I as a father, you should be worried. What? Yeah. When you see those, all the Halloween costumes of Kylo Ren that, that is, you know, for a kid, and like, uh, there's there's a dad trick-or-treating, possibly, with this kid. Like, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, I, to me, again, uh, not being a parent uh, is as well. All I can do is uh, project and imagine. I know we have many listeners who are parents who, who do raise their kids in a fine Star Wars tradition uh, who, who might have uh, more perspectives. For me, it does feel like, there's something magic about Star Wars because it is a fantasy, because it did happen a long time ago. You can draw mm. real life lessons from it, but it is enough removed from reality. It's really different to pretend to be Kylo Ren versus to, you know, uh, be walking around 
you know, with actual guns and I'm not making any judgment or anything about guns, but I'm just saying there's the, uh, there's the, I think some safety in the fantasy that it truly is exploring ideas of evil rather than celebrating them. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. They're there. Yes, absolutely. And, and especially if you're a parent, not super familiar with it. Yep. Cool. Just, just play your, play your favorite f- character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to maybe open doors for conversation. Um, I wanted to bring up this. You mentioned it as well. Uh, both Lucas and Filoni, there are uh, videos out there. You can Google them, have been very explicit. Uh, I'm sure other Star Wars creators have as well, but Lucas and Filoni are, are two big ones, obviously. They've been very explicit about Vader and Maul in particular, that the bad guys are wrong uh, and they're not intended to be gray areas or role models. How does that hearing that affect you as a fan? I'll tell you, it, 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 I'm so behind them on it. I'm so behind them on it, which is probably why I get a little too grumpy online or on a Twitch stream or something when someone tries to sell me on the Grey Jedi thing or all that kind of stuff, um, particularly as it relates to Star Wars. We, that, that, that's the next study is, is, is the misinterpretation of or the, or the obsession with gray areas because, by the way, I love them. I keep going, the reason I keep going back to Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire is because George R.R. R. Martin plays with that, but also uh, the characters get their, their choices lead them the same way as Vader or Kylo. And I think that's forgotten, right? Um, I love that Lucas, I wonder in my mind, this is, an, and maybe there's an interview, maybe I got to read that book a little bit more that's sitting on my coffee table. I don't know. I got to wonder if Lucas, uh, uh, about, you know, 78, 79, is preparing his next story and is like, oh God, everyone loves this killer. <laughs> and then it goes on, well, let me, let me do some stuff. No, everyone, oh my God, now he's more, he's huge. And now it's, you know, 80s into 90s. And he's like, I want to go back to this story and I want to, I want to tell, I want to tell the whole story of how this happened, you know. And again, I know some of the stuff George has said, but you know, I wonder how much was him just like, no, 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 guys, no, folks, kids, he's he's not good. In fact, he was good, but he went bad. Here's how, and here's how you could do it too. I just wonder how much was a direct reaction to the boom explosion of popularity. The bad guy, no one was walking around in farmers uh, space farmer gear like Luke. <laughs> they were walking around like Vader. You know what I mean? Uh, and F- Filoni obviously is going to kind of pick up that ball and run with it too. So I love that they're like, no, 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 no. Bad guys. Yeah. Don't be like. Yeah. And I, I like the distinction that you can relate to why they made these choices. And that's, a, that's an interesting gray area to go, wow, you know, uh, Luke made some mistakes with Kylo is different than saying Kylo is justified in his actions. And, and I think that distinction is important. And, and it's, it's interesting to me to hear uh, creators say that. And, and I think to me, it gets to this idea that for myself, I love the villains. I always will. You know, if I've had a bad day, I, I kind of enjoy, you know, playing them all on battlefront and, and letting mm-hmm. some of it out by trying to hack some people apart as a savage Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. But I can say that's the, that's the wish fulfillment that I don't actually want to fulfill ever um and have the uh have that have it be uh, uh clarified that that is the creator's position to me is a, a good thing yeah no it's it's and and again go to, to what i was starting to you know gosh this episode's inspiring just a lot of passionate takes to me joseph but this 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 necessary rage thing you and i keep just harping on which was from the trevorrow script i, I you know 
I'm not here to super attack Trevorrow. Okay. I, you know, I, I know people have met him and say he's nice. I know people that, you know, it isn't, and I know he's a huge star Wars fan. And there's some things in that script that you and I both were like, yeah, Hey, that's pretty cool. But the idea, I think he got so much wrong and you, you were really putting just microscope on it. He got so much of it wrong that I think appeals to people. So I get grumpy of this gray area, necessary rage, touching the dark side and everything. And to, and to, and to counteract that with George in that writer's room, go find that clip if you have. It's been around for years, but it, it, every few months it keeps to, keeps popping up. To just George be like, no, 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 no. You see, um, greed doesn't stop. The thirst for power doesn't stop. You'll get more and more and you'll want to fill that hole and you can't. That's the lesson here. Maul will never succeed. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about Dooku in a second. Christopher Lee has the best description of Dooku ever. He he kind of doesn't care about good or bad. He cares about himself and he cares about power. He's amoral. He, he said he he the, he just I I played him like this. This is why I still believe he, he if given a chance he might have destroyed the Sith. Not for good reasons, for his reasons. Uh, you know, and 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 this these are all bad things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know? I I. I totally agree. And I think that's why I, you know, uh, push back against that idea of necessary rage that, uh, that in order to fully balance the force, Ray needed to both be, uh, uh, powerful on the light side and also kill a guy when she was pissed. Like that yeah. to me is, it does lean into, uh, the negative part of, of wish fulfillment. It's not just playing with the idea of, I humans naturally feel anger and naturally want to lash out mm -hmm. at, when they feel attacked. So let's, let's play with that idea. It to me, it can't stop there. It, it has to take that next step that the Lucas and Filoni and Abrams and Ryan Johnson storytelling had that's and, and Claudia Gray and, and so many other people have contributed to star Wars. They've all taken that next step and said, but what will that get you? And said, mm -hmm. it will leave you as you were saying, just wanting more, just empty, unfulfilled, hurting not just others, but hurting yourself. So the idea that the Ray's final answer would be, uh, I, I need 50% entire greed and 50% yeah. uh, selfless uh, goodness is just like, yeah, those two don't balance. Yeah. The lessons, you know, look, the other day I was waiting in line to get into my Target Express nearby me. And if a, a, a son, a, a, a father and a son, teenager, kid near me were almost touching me. They were almost leaning on me. As we're waiting outside six feet from each other, right? Mm. And oh, I was getting angry, angry, angry. Ken was coming up, and I, the wish for the moment will be to toss the shopping cart at him with the force, and then I'm in jail. And, and it, it, George wants you even now to think about your nature is to go this way. You have to fight against that nature. That's why Yoda has to face the challenge. That's why Jedi must confront fear and anger and all those kind of things and rise above it. And it does have practical real life optical lessons there if, if you're ready for it there yeah Don't yeah be yeah the, the temptation is always there um yeah that's great uh, uh let, let's talk about some of the other major bad guys uh because we've talked a lot about why we love them but we do love them so let's talk about palpatine we talked about a little bit of our uh our interest in him our perspective of him as kids why right now in the year 2020 do you like and or love Palpatine? That's I just I I am just blown away by McDermott's performance of him on, on all shapes and forms. I, I I the unlimited power moment is worthy of of the meme it became, but <laughs> 
I I wrote about it. I celebrate it. And George talked about going farther, farther, farther on set. It needs to be over the top. It is over the top. And it's my, f- perhaps my favorite moment. And this is over time because I grew up, you know, fire and wheel commander. I mean, I'd, I'd say that line five times a day in high school. Like <laughs> I love everything about Palpatine. I love everything about Sheev. Um, Going to that unlimited power moment. He is, he is, he is, he has obtained what everyone else wants or can't admit they want and doesn't have the, the, from his point of view, the, the, the courage of cojones to do it. I've got the power you all crave and it's mine. I love that moment. And so I, I, it, it's total wish fulfillment. I, I, and I, you, you put it, you know, a couple of times you'll say, I'll say, Hey, look, there's different ways uh, to watch star Wars. And, you know, and you'll be like, you know, unless you think Palpatine was right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never lose sight of that. But he is, we keep talking about this wish fulfillment. He is it on a lot of levels because it isn't just power, lightsaber, lightning bolt. It is office politics. You could be Sheev at your office too. You could be a fan. <laughs> you could be the guy working it. You could be one step ahead and all those kind of things. Um, and so I think for me now, that's where I'm pulled in. One, number one, Ian McDiarmid just pulled in by him. Um, but two, just pulled in by the long play, the long con and everything he brings and that moment of unlimited power. He obtains what everyone wants or thinks they want, maybe shouldn't get. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, I, I will mostly just echo your sentiments of that. Ian McDermott is an amazing actor. I always enjoyed The Emperor it is, you know, especially as I got older, quoting all those Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. lines. The one that always uh, stuck with uh, me is the you want this? Uh, just how much he's just taunting Luke. I'm afraid we'll be quite operational when you're afraid. It's such a, just a jerk, an evil, evil jerk. Uh, but then the prequels come out in all of that manipulation, uh, in that, that public face of a politician who claims to love democracy and just so obviously does not. Um, and I think stepping back now, I enjoy him uh, extremely sincerely, but also in an uh, almost an ironic way that I think Star Wars invites you to because he is the dark fantasy wizard from old. He's the absolute yeah. evil thing out there in the woods somewhere. He's also just this cartoonish over the top from like British Panto, the evil guy who cackles because he's evil. He is the picture of real world political evil. Somebody who lies to your face, manipulates other people, doesn't care about anything, you know, manipulates actual power structures of, you know, money and resources. He is just like almost every idea you might have of evil. And and he's all one And that. That just makes him endlessly fascinating uh, like deep, serious, uh, uh, deserving of analysis and fun and weird and absurd. And he is everything that I like about Star Wars kind of in one guy. Mm. Yeah. He's the full package of evil. <laughs> He's the full Palpatine. That's right. Um, <laughs> we've got a chance to talk about Maul a lot on our Clone Wars Report episodes, but it wouldn't be an episode about enjoying evil if we didn't uh, touch on Maul. So what, what is, uh, what's your big picture on Maul right now? Uh, what a great job of just expanding this character and taking the DNA of the character that I think is very much in George's vision of him in The Phantom Menace. Uh, I don't think it's, yes, he's there for a short time and he's cut in half and 
you know, it seems like it's, you know, we talk about Boba Fett or Phasma and Darth Maul kind of falls in that tradition of cool character, short, short stay in the story. <laughs> but I think everything, because again, the story, I've, you, there's an interview out there. I think I don't find it on the YouTube machine, wherever you want to go. Filoni's like, George comes up to me one day and says, I got something for you. Maul's back. Filoni says, how? George says, figure it out. Walks off. <laughs> I love that it came from George because George wasn't done telling the story of the Clone Wars era uh, just in terms of the war. And he wasn't done telling it in terms of the characters that he had created and the lessons there. We talk about Sisyphus and all those kind of things that have emerged from all. So they've taken the DNA. It's all there. A blunt weapon. I want to get out there. I want my revenge. I'm skilled. I'm ready. I'm dead. I'm killed. Uh, I'm murdered, uh, cut in half because I, uh, you know, uh, my vengeance, my rage got me. They, they take that and they just keep that going in such a wonderful way. And then you talked about on Clone Wars report yesterday of just, you know, from a certain point of view, Maul might be a fun guy to hang out with. He's got some quip, personality, <laughs> fun, got some skills. If he had just calmed down and let go of the rage thing and have a drink, he might be all right. And, and I love that that keeps going. He just becomes, he's become one of the more richer characters in Star Wars from a, I still, that's why I get a little, I get a little upset. Some of my friends, maybe Maul came back. I didn't watch no Star Wars cartoon. He came back. I heard he came back and he's a spider. <laughs> Dig in. Dig in. Cause they go, Dig they in. take a ride. And that final fight, that final fight with Kenobi is, is everything it's cracked up to be. It is so powerful. It is so Star Wars. And it comes from the DNA that George, I think, put in the mall in, in the beginning. And, and that's where my, Thoughts on Maul, Maul are right now. We'll, we'll see a couple more episodes of Clone Wars to go. Yeah, yeah. There's so much there. You're right. That scene in uh, in Rebels, uh, Kenobi and Maul's last confrontation is like however long that entire scene with those two is. You know, three minutes. Uh, it's a distillation of the Jedi and the Sith, and it's really, really yeah. powerful. Um, you know, you talk about George making the quest to bring him back. And it is so fun uh, to think about where's that coming from with George. And I know he might have interviews out there or whatever, but as you said earlier in this episode, he changes his mind sometimes. Uh, we're, we're very complimentary of everything that he created and these big ideas. But one of the fascinating things about Lucas is, to me, he's a little like the emperor. Is Sometimes he's like, I have this deep, meaningful idea that I want to plant in here. And then sometimes he's like, I when I was a kid, I liked action and adventure and bad guys with swords and stuff. So I, I want to see those too. And you, you, there's always a little bit of a tension of like, is this scene a, a, a? I don't think I don't think Star Wars is ever pro war, pro violence, but it's definitely like, hey, it's fun and thrilling to watch. And sometimes something's there to be you know seen in that way. So it's fascinating to think like, I'm always really cool. Do I want to do I want to bring him back just because he's cool, or do I have things to say? Um, yeah. And in particular, with Lucas having so much storytelling about organizations that fail people, you know, uh, I love that, you know, it's the story. Uh, the prequels are the story of the Jedi Order failing. Uh, they're the story of the Republic failing. And I love that he got around to the point where he's like, yeah, and I want to tell a story of the Sith Order, you know, an order that only includes two people <laughs> failing someone. You know, <laughs> what's it like to be a disgruntled employee of even the Sith? And that's that's yeah. Maul, you know, Um when I was trying to think of a big picture, what I loved about Maul is, I think, that feeling of utter tenacity and frustration that he gets the image that came into my mind to try to translate it into real world terms is, is absurd. 
But I picture him all that like a vending machine and he wants one specific candy bar. And no matter what he does, that one candy bar is not coming out. It's always going to get caught on the ring. But he's just standing there shaking that vending machine into eternity. Mm. <laughs> I want that animated short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's what makes him uh, super uh, fascinating to me, that utter unwillingness uh, to stop, but he's not going to get the candy bar, sadly. Let's talk about Dooku. What what are your feelings on Dooku? I, I, I've just, over the years, have grown to love this character perhaps more than any other character introduced in the prequel era, you know, like, uh, just, and, and that's saying a lot, because I, I just, I, I, love, I love Padme, I love the presence of Phantom Menace, uh, Clone Wars, etc., but I don't know, Dooku, I, I go back to the Geonosis scene so much, so much, because I just love it. I love Christopher Lee. I love that we got to experience him in Star Wars and in and, and that scene in particular. You know, I know, um, you know, he couldn't be in doing the fights as much. I'm sure even Christopher Lee wanted to lightsaber fight even more than he could. But, you know, he was older at the time, but we get we get those scenes, we get those moments. And to play this guy who was being manipulated and, and did end up as Maul points out, you know, always a step behind uh, Sidious Palpatine. Just love what a different kind of bad guy when we go into the second one. And yeah, I was there. I made fun of the name too. Uh, back in 2002. What? Dooku? Come on. But uh, coming off of Maul, coming out of George needed, needed that kind of character. The one who might not be wrong. We talk about points of view, perspectives. We, I always, we always make that kind of uh, joke slash reference. Yeah, maybe he really is the Godfather of the Rebellion. He's the first to fight the Republic. Yeah, you know, they became the Empire. Not hundred percent true, but it, it 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 works a little bit, and that's why I love Dooku. Just he's not just shades. Of, he's not shades of gray. He, he he he's out for himself, but he's not wrong. It doesn't start getting to learn, learn more of his path out of the Jedi Order. It all, uh, it's just all intriguing. I hope we spend some more time with Dooku. Although we did get a lot, Dooku Jedi Lost and, and Master and Apprentice. You, you spent a lot of time with Dooku in those. Yeah, yeah. But I would take even more Dooku. Uh, yeah, I love that he is a different version of sort of the respectable face of evil. Uh, you know, where, where Palpatine is trying to keep his mask up. And when the mask slips finally with unlimited uh, power and he gets to reveal himself, there's just, oh, I'm gonna revel in this. And Dooku is just always the polite face of evil he is the gentleman killer of like oh by the way uh this is the fork that you should use with salad and i am full of hate and i will kill you all and that's just like a great different flavor of uh villainy to enjoy yeah absolutely uh, Sad, uh, exquisite pajamas of dooku exactly exactly exquisite pajamas evil is dooku evil uh any thoughts on grievous or assage ventress uh, Vent Ventress is great. You know, I, I I still would love to get more Ventress, and and we learn, and her stuff is um pretty not straightforward in a, in a bad way, but just like it is, you know, this is someone wronged. This is someone who, with the wrong influences, went the wrong way, but for reasons that I I understand. I love her homecoming. I love uh, her painful rejection, essentially being left for dead, uh, and finding herself back in the arms of Mother Talzin. You know. You know, interesting mother figure, but for for Ventress it works. And, and where she ends up, uh, for those who haven't read Dark Disciple, won't spo spoil it. Uh, use the audio uh, audio audible uh, dot com <laughs> trial. Listen to Dark, Disci Dark Disciple, great stuff. Uh, a character made so much more powerful by um, because of um, Katie Lucas, obviously, um, really uh, taking that character and infusing 
that character with her own kind of rebellious self-discovery journey and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I like, I like Ventress want more. Um, Grievous, actually, I'll tell you what I love about Grievous. I, I love the modern Star Wars canon answers on some of Grievous's origins and how he is this kind of uh, warning for Anakin that he doesn't pick up on. Uh, there's some stuff in the legend stuff that's pretty interesting and intriguing about Grievous. I just, I just like the idea that he was a great warrior and he wanted more and he, this is what he became. And there's a lesson there in that. Yeah. And war does not make one great is yeah. The, uh, Grievous's, uh, life lesson there. Yeah. I, I really like both Grievous and Asajj Ventress as pawns as like big figures in star Wars, big figures in clone wars, uh, but not, uh, necessarily as central because they've been so manipulated and used and, and thrown away, uh, in, in stories where lots of people get used and, and thrown away. They're some of the big ones for evil. Uh, for Grievous, I would still take a lot more storytelling of any kind. And for Asajj Ventress, she's got a lot of great stuff in the Clone Wars, but Dark Disciple is so great. Um, it, it, the podcast would be very long if I went on and on about Asajj, so I'll just say that I really hope that Dark Disciple gets an audiobook, uh, not just a, I know there's an audiobook, but it would be great to have a full cast performance version or even if they get to the point of doing ever animated one-shot movies of specific books i would really love uh, a a larger scale version of dark disciple to give her character even more visibility and, and justice because everything in that book with her is so great totally agree uh so i think in general we're pretty clear on our feelings about kylo ren and vader so uh we uh we will refer you to all the other episodes of force center where we talk about uh kylo ren and, and vader uh We've talked a lot about the dark side and the Force users. Uh, Grievous, obviously not a Force user, but I wanted to touch on these other elements of villainy that are in Star Wars. Uh, we've got our kind of political military villains like Tarkin or Krennic or Hux, or I, I would even, he's a bit of, more of a warrior, but Pre Vizsla, you know, does some political machinations. You got Thrawn, that whole non-Force political military side of evil. What attracts uh, you to that? Well, it's funny because here I am with this conversation starts with me just being drawn to the cool toys of the Imperials. And, and these are more of the Imperials than Vader ever, ever was. <laughs> you know, I think Vader was a freelance employee of the Empire. Um, Tarkin, <laughs> he got 1099s Tarkin, for sure. Yeah, he got 1099s. I need to fill out my tax form. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I really love all these characters from, from what they bring to this evil side. They all bring in something different. I'm glad you brought a pre Vizsla. I'm not a super expert on the Mandalorians, um, whether it is the Mandalorian or the, or the, Man, or the Clone War stuff. Um, I, I didn't take as, I've never taken as deep dive into them as, as you might expect, I guess. Um, but uh, Krennic and Tarkin and, and their infighting and Krennic's office politics and him just wanting to get recognized for his work and credit for his work and the work is to destroy planets um, and the cold and, and what you can become when you're obsessed. You know, he literally dies at the uh, hands of his creation, the Death Star. It's so poetic to me. It's so painful. It's a reminder, especially if you factor in catalyst. I'm not saying Krennic was uh, ever a straight up like good boy back in the day you know but he's not necessarily painted as that but if you read catalyst you know 
he's an up and comer, man. He's a, he and Galen are just having from some from fun in college. And the credit just become, you slowly see his obsession, just grab him. It's pretty fascinating to me. Tarkin's interesting. Tarkin's interesting, especially in the Clone Wars. That, that Citadel, or, or uh, the, the rescue one is the Citadel where they rescue him from. Yeah. So many. Yeah. I love, I, those are some real powerful moments. And and the transition of of Anakin from Attack of the Clones to where we now are going into Revenge of the Sith, those moments he has with Captain Tarkin when they're rescuing him and Tarkin's just kind of like stating some stuff that's Anakin's like, oh, I am down with that. That makes sense. I love that stuff. That's, to me, a a lot of added value to the Tarkin character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Jedi don't go far enough. Yeah, I think that there is something about that I really like about the uh, political and military evil because it's stripped away of a little bit of the fantasy. I mean, Krennic, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's still got a cape. They still got uh, cool uh, outfits, but it's not, you know, in armored, you know, guy with a laser sword. It's a guy in a military uniform uh, working for the government to do, you know, government things. Though some of those government things happen to be, you know, blowing up planets and <laughs> entire systems. Uh, right. So there's there's a fascination that in some ways they are scarier because they're a, a, a little less fantasy, a little closer to reality. And for me, the characters that I think I find myself gravitating towards, I like Tarkin. But Tarkin does just seem like a great picture of just like a military strongman who is just he does his he knows how to do his job and he does it well. Um, but I yeah. find myself gravitating to Krennic and Hux. Uh, because right. like you, you get to see those cracks. You get to see how they became those flawed people. You know, like you're talking about with Krennic. To just, I loved at the beginning of of Rogue One uh, or the Catalyst novelization. He just he he doesn't like being seated so far in the back. He wants to sit up there with the yeah. important people. You know, doing a yeah. government job to be important. And same thing with Hux. He just wants to prove himself. And and they're just such great portraits of where that kind of uh, belief, relatable feelings of being devalued uh, can lead you. Yeah. And it leads to some scary stuff with Krennic. Uh, You know, this is a guy who is, is taking out cities and and, and then eventually his work takes out planets and Krennic barely lifted a blaster. In fact, when he did, he failed. He isn't that he isn't the powerful, typical stereotypical star Wars baddie. And he probably couldn't win a fist fight. And, but his, his, his fear, you know, fear of him comes from another spot and that opening stuff. And I, in fact, they were Chris White's and Gary Widow were talking on that IGN thing of how they, you know, that, that scene absolutely was inspired by Hans Landa in a glorious bastards. Uh, one of my favorite cinematic scenes. And when you read catalyst, when you read catalyst, uh, Krennic feels more like Hans Landa than, than anything. Even the movie. <laughs> um, and that, that, that it's, it's a, it's not him lifting the fingers and that's sometimes more scary to me. That's a great and point. He's, you know, wielding the power of the organization behind him to terrify people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's watching an ancient city burn and vanish. And he says, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, and it means nothing other than his glory. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to uh, lose my senior management position. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Yeah fascinating uh and of course we've talked about Thrawn a lot uh, but we know anybody who's uh tuning in to something called enjoying the evil uh that they might be a huge Thrawn fan there's there's much to love about Thrawn the uh to me he's he's dark Sherlock Holmes uh you know and there's a ton uh to love there uh do you have anything that you want to say quickly about Thrawn because I, I know we're going long yeah. 
Thrawn, Thrawn, Thrawn probably deserves his own his own episode down the line once the uh, Zahn's new book series is done. I, I love Thrawn a lot. I love a lot about him. Um, he's so interesting because he's just such a like, I'll, I'll use your evil organization to help me uh, defend my planet or whatever we're going to learn. He's, you know, like, it's interesting. That stuff's more interesting to me than even the stuff we've seen in Rebels. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to dig in there with Thrawn. The last uh, big thing I want to touch on is we have a plenty of villains in Star Wars who are just, uh, there's no other word for it, they're just straight-up criminals. They just do crime. Uh, you got your Jabba the Hutt, Dryden Voss. Uh, I, I would argue that uh, bounty hunters generally uh, fall into that category, so uh, I'm not going to list all the bounty hunters. Uh, pick your favorite as we go through this discussion. But how? what do the uh, crime-centric uh, villains mean to you? Yeah, so fun. I, I enjoy them all. I really do like Dryden Voss. Uh, I I've was both repulsed and intrigued by Jabba the Hutt as a kid. And the <laughs> Rancor. You, you see, the Rancor scared me more than Vader or the Emperor ever did. So I don't know what that says about me. But probably I had more. Don't want to uh, be eaten. Yeah, probably. Um, I love I love Fett, but I love other aspects about him than just the bounty hunters. Yeah, I, this again goes to the fact of how I am not drawn to. Star Wars Underworld as much as other people. I get the appeal. I just, I'm not drawn to it. I, I, I'll have to, another episode to study why. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I mean, there's a lot of them that I love and are among the most popular Star Wars characters. I think some of it does come from design and just how, how fascinating Jabba is as this giant slug, oh. you know, eating creatures out of his snackquarium and uh, all that stuff. Uh, Dryden Voss was a fascinating, just a, you know, a truly terrifying gangster who clearly had a personal stake in always being in control and always dominating people around him. And then uh, the bounty hunters are very explicitly, uh, I am in this galaxy for one person and that's me. You know, the bounty hunters are who Han claims he is. And I think that's to me what, what makes all the criminals interesting and gives you that same kind of uh, wish fulfillment that some of the uh, dark side uh, villains who just give in to their anger do of what if you gave in to just being amoral? What if you just gave into the philosophy of eh, the galaxy sucks, everybody's out for themselves, there's nothing wrong with me being out for myself because that's the way it is and that's the way you gotta be. And, and to me, the bounty hunters are this fascinating exploration of that. I agree. Uh, that that part appeal, that that character study part of it is is interesting to me. Yeah. Cool. So that has been a big look at Enjoying Evil. I want to close out with a, uh, a specific question. Do you have any favorite specific moments where you're watching Star Wars, you know it well, you maybe process all, all of these ideas about uh, wish fulfillment and uh, learning lessons and all that, but you just sit back and go, I'm just going to enjoy this evil. I love this scene. Let me watch the evil. I, I just very well could be your answer. I don't know. It, it's the Rogue One hallway scene. <laughs> it's the horror monster and the horror monster is Vader. I mean, like everyone, I, generally everyone had that reaction. The breathing. Uh-oh. The lightsaber. Oh, God. Go get him, Vader. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's it's Vader, pure evil, hack and slash. I love it. Yeah, that that is, I have two answers. One is the Rogue One hallway. Honestly, the Rogue One hallway is part of the reason that I wanted to do this episode of just talking mm -hmm. through why we enjoy the evil. And I, I think for me, it's obviously it's cool because he uses the force and then in the, the satisfaction of we've built up for decades, what a badass he is. This is a perfect place and time to really show him in his prime. 
there's all that. But I, I think it just it does go down to that deep level of, hey, if, if you're going to create a monster to kind of hold up a mirror to your own humanity, there's a part of you that just was like, well, then then let go. Then then show me. Show me everything you got in the mirror. Show me the full evil. And I think for me, there is that of like, if he's a, if he's about the fantasy of what would happen if I did that, what a powerful way to just show, poof, this is what happens. <laughs> this is what it looks like. This is what the good guys are up against when evil goes totally unchecked. Love it. Yeah. Uh, my final thing is something that you already uh, talked about eloquently, and it is unlimited power uh, for exactly the reasons you said. Uh, there's uh, talk in the, uh, in the Clone Wars about Sidious getting to reveal himself. Man, that unlimited power and everything that happens after with Anakin when he's giving him the name and there's those weird tiger growl rumbles and he's just like, oh, you will be a powerful. It's just this, you, you don't want to be evil, <laughs> but he makes it look like it feels really good, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big release. <laughs> yeah, to just take the mask off and just let all the evil hang out and that is very enjoyable to me. <laughs> Yes. 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 Unlimited power. So that is our look at unlimited evil in Star Wars. Oh, it's so good, man. I'm sorry. I think I probably made this a little longer because I got really passionate talking about the dark side. Uh, We are going to go to our audience questions right here on Facebook. Paul Stannis writes us and says, hey, in some way, is Obi-Wan's line, in my experience, is no such thing as luck. An acknowledgement that the fall of the Jedi Order was brought about by their own failings rather than bad luck. Wow, Paul, I've never thought about that line in that way. And I'm, I don't know about you, Joseph, I'm kind of on board with what Paul's saying here. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think you could definitely interpret it as a specific critique of any of the things in, in Obi-Wan's past that he feels bad about or doesn't want to attribute to happenstance. Uh, I think the big thing for me is I think Obi-Wan is about destiny and choice uh, that Depending on who you are, your life circumstances, you're going to get pushed in a certain direction and you're going to have to make a choice. And neither of those things are uh, luck. It's destiny and choice. And like particularly in A New Hope, I think he's he knows, hey, uh, Luke Skywalker is very powerful in the force. He is the uh, child of Anakin. Eventually, someone is going to come for him and they're going to make him. He's going to be in a position to make a choice. You got destiny and choice. There's no luck. It's just who's going to come for Luke and what is Luke going to choose to do with his power? I agree. I agree. Paul, that's good stuff. Hey, that's one of those lines comes early on in New Hope in the 70s. And a lot of that still can tie into modern Star Wars because the modern Star Wars storytellers are connecting back to the original Movies, themes, and, and and story beats presented. So great stuff, Paul. Joshua Thorne writes, uh, there are heroes on both sides. Revenge of the Sith Crawl. This might have been, just become my favorite line from the prequels. Uh, in the context of Revenge of the Sith and pre-Clone Wars, George, uh, uh, who exactly were the heroes on Separatist side? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I, 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 read, I read that a little weird, like Ron Burgundy on Telephone. In context of Revenge of the Sith, with George, who exactly were the heroes in Separate Sides? So from George's point of view, George putting that in there, Joseph, uh, what, what do you really think about there were heroes on both sides of this nasty war where we're kind of rooting for one side? 
Yeah, I think um, if I take Joshua's uh, meaning correctly in the question, I think, you know, it, obviously we get to meet Mina Bonteri and in, in really in the actual Clone Wars animated series. And we get to see some of the people who just have legitimate, you know, grievances who've been manipulated uh, by uh, Sidious and by Dooku. Um, I think that George probably had that in his mind as the story before he got a chance to to tell it in the Clone Wars animated series. That's what my mind has often gone to of like, remember that this is a manipulation on both sides. I've showed you a Republic that is failing. So you could understand how some systems would go. Maybe we don't want to be a part of it anymore. And then Dooku and Sidious come along and, and go, well, you have legitimate political grievances. On one hand, we're going to make sure they don't get answered in the Republic, in the Senate. And on the other hand, we have a charming guy go, here's a weapon. You should do something about it. So I think there's some empathy for the fact that people are being manipulated. Um, mm. And then the, the other, the other mm. thought for me on that is it, it reads to me as a little bit of a statement from Lucas himself that I think ultimately as much fun as star Wars has with uh, battles in action, that it is anti-war and that Lucas has said that star Wars has its origins and things like the Vietnam war, um, the uh, during the original trilogy, you know, there was a lot of Cold War stuff where there is a lot of, you know, uh, an, a, an idea to to be to think of the other side as evil, you know, um, to think of some kid in Russia as your enemy because he's from Russia. And, and to me, this has just a little bit of Lucas pushing back and saying, remember, in every war, there are humans on both sides. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's actually where I've always kind of gone with it. Because you, 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 I'm glad you mentioned Mina Bonteri. We can talk about that, but but going back to 2005, we're seeing this war. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't, know, I don't want to make any real world connections right right now for the story. But yeah, yeah, exactly what you mean. At some point, there's someone on the separatist side who rushed in and saved three of his buddies in a bunker. You know, and those three separatists probably think that guy's a hero you know just the literal nuts and bolts of this war and that i did take it as a statement from george on like hey things going on on both sides we'll figure that all out but there's there's creatures people humans uh droids even fighting and uh that's pretty gruesome on both sides yeah yeah and also um, just you know in whether it works or not in the crawl it's just a real fast way to remind you that this war is a manipulation and that you know the villains aren't all of the separatists the villains are the greedy t- trade federation, the evil Sith Lords, not the yeah. people they hoodwinked. Exactly. But good question, Joshua. Good question, Paul. You guys are on a roll today. To Patreon we go. Dave Clarkson writes, only a few days into this shutdown, and I'm already feeling a bit like a hermit. How do you think Obi-Wan and Yoda pass the time? Well, I think uh, Obi-Wan Ben became quite the regular down at Chalman's Cantina. Uh, I think that's why he's known. Uh, Yoda, though, not as many options. What do you think, Joseph? Yeah, uh, I should uh, should say this. Uh, this points out uh, how how long uh, it's been since we've asked for fresh questions that uh, Dave said only a few days into the shutdown. <laughs> so this question came a while ago. Uh, I, You know, the thing that entertains me is I kind of tried to think of my actual Star Wars answers, and then it kind of sounded like a lot of things that uh, we here in real life are doing in our various uh, Zoom calls and uh, Facebook videos, I think they would meditate a lot. And then I think they just did a lot of cooking and physical exercise. <laughs> yes, I think they 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 learned a, a space guitar. Uh, maybe Obi-Wan <laughs> picked up, a, wrote a book or something, uh, you know, something on the side. 
Yeah, uh, I uh, I think about. It. I mean, it's one of those funny. You know, they, we even have now we have a time frame, nineteen years or so. You know, back then we didn't have it, but um, to know know even more of what they needed to not do in hiding. How do you pass the time? It's a great question. Yeah, whatever uh, whatever the Tatooine version is of a sourdough starter, I think uh, Obi Wan had to figure that out. <laughs> Paul Wright writes in Star Wars Resistance. Why didn't the First Order track? The Colossus through hyperspace. So I don't know if I can answer this fully, Joseph. I'm almost done with uh, Star Wars Resistance. I think I have one or two episodes left. And oh, by the way, wow, I've loved how the show has ended and what it's done. You know, some really good stuff. Um, so what, 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 what's the answer here why the First, first Order didn't track the Colossus? Uh, to me, it's just a, a story of limited uh, money and resources. I think it's one of those uh, kind of... With parts of Star Wars, at least this is my head canon, uh, that particularly in modern Star Wars storytelling, we get a little bit more into the realistic nuts and bolts. And I think it was technology that they were just developing. And it's not like they had the money, the time or the parts to make every single ship have uh, the ability to track another through hyperspace so that they only use yeah. it uh, when it's a priority, like, you know, spot in the Falcon. Well, the Falcon and uh, the profundity. Yeah, look, uh, as it's pointed out, you know, the First Order was big, but it wasn't as big as the Empire in its heyday. That's why there was some value to what the Emperor was selling them in, in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, what does it increase the, uh, our size of our fleet tenfold? So I think there was also a little bit, yeah, like I said, res- not enough resources to always go around, pick your battles, and uh, that's not one of the battles they were going to pick. I think that's a good headcanon answer. But, you know, one day we'll ask uh, the First Order representatives for us. <laughs> uh, Paul, that was a great question. Dave, Joshua, Paul, again, great stuff. We appreciate it. If you have a question for us, want to join the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Force Center, like our Facebook page. We are on Instagram. As we said up top, we are on YouTube. Check that out for In Moriam's new one coming Saturday and every other week, Show and Tell, Star Wars Show and Tell. Other guests, we're going to get some other guests, people you know in the fear to come on and share their star wars toys and you know joseph and i aren't done sharing our toys either check that out podcast available on iHeartRadio, apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and many other places just check it out uh merch is available tpublic.com slash user slash force center and on patreon patreon.com slash force center uh, a lot of new patrons recently joseph yeah, thank you so much uh, for those of you who are joining us on our journey. We've got uh, some uh, goals coming up uh, that will should be completed soon. Uh, we cross our fingers. It's a weird time for everybody, and uh, we are going to be, hopefully be putting out even more ideas of, uh, of more things we can build towards on Patreon. Yeah, and uh, we got our own things going on. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack. Go to KenKnapsack.com. For all of my adventures, including my new baseball podcast coming soon, Box Score Heroes. Find it if you like baseball. And Joseph, uh, they can follow you as well. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm doing a lot of fun uh, balcony cocktail photos, so check those out. And then if you're interested in uh, checking out any of my comedy albums, a book I wrote a while back, or my podcast Obsessed, all of that information is on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. We thank you all for joining us on uh, this show, uh, the Colonel's Report, our uh, weekend shows. We're trying to put some more stuff out there. Big Star Wars week ahead. So uh, strap in is what I'm trying to say. A lot of fun. So for all the evil characters in the galaxy, let's choose the light side. We'll see you next time. This was Force Center. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.